Well, hello, it's Pastor Carson from Calvary Tabernacle. Thanks for stopping by the podcast. We hope that it's a blessing to you, whether you're catching one of the Sunday or Wednesday messages, or maybe you're jumping on to listen to one of the Saturday snapshots. We're doing everything we can right here in the beautiful Fountain Square area of Indianapolis to try to reach and connect and disciple people towards Jesus Christ. Enjoy what you listen to, and I hope that it's a benefit to your life. We are finally going to conclude this series, and uh, it's been a little while in the making. We're going to talk here on practicing strategic thinking and sacrificing good for best. This is our conclusion. How many enjoyed Sunday night praying through the tabernacle? I've got so many comments. I've had several people ask, can we do this more than once a year? Can this be something we do a couple times a year. Now, i got to be honest, you don't have to bend my arm to pray. So if you want to start a petition or something, it, it won't take very long. We only need a couple signatures, two or three, according to Scripture. Some of you got that. Some of y'all get that later. Um, so we've been talking about this balance here. So we do have to have strategic thinking. How many know God is a strategic planner, strategic thinker? Yes, he is. And sacrificing good for best is what gave us a perfect lamb. He did not send a substitute. He came himself. And aren't we glad about it? Mm. Our songs would lack power had he not come on our behalf. Our preaching would be lacking depth were we not able to say that we know it's all in Him and that in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. I want us to talk tonight starting on practicing strategic thinking. And oh God, we ask that you would bless our time in your word and in study, that you might allow it to find lodging in our heart and our mind, that we might be more effective for the kingdom of God. And someone say amen to that. You cannot succeed without a plan. You need a plan. Now, for all the non-planners, you know who you are. You're always late. It gives you that little bit of adrenaline burst you need to get through your day. Some of you know you live running late. Some of you are the other spouse where you have conversations like this. Your time is not realistic. Okay? You need to start getting ready. <laughs> you, you know that we have to leave in 30 minutes. 30, 3 0. How many of you, be honest, and you raise your hand, you know you're the one that makes your family late? Raise your hand. Come on, you lie, you fry. Raise your hand. Thank you. Brother Henderson, thank you. We all thought that, but you putting yourself before, just kidding. Some of us know that. How many of you are the person that's already sitting in the car waiting? Raise your hand. Look at all of you. Some of you could not get your hand up fast enough. I didn't even get all the words out. Some 
You're so well planned, you wanted to put your hand up before I asked the question. First Chronicles chapter 12, the children of Isaacar, which were men that had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. The heads of them were 200 and all their brethren were at their commandment. They had an understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. We, we are in a place right now, if we have ever been in a season, and I know that that can become a cliche, and I've, I've used it, Brother Kilman, we have all used it too many times. If there's ever been a time, I understand, it's become a part of preacher speak, if there's ever been a time, but please hear me very carefully, if there's ever been a time that we need to be seeking the face of God and hearing what thus saith the Lord, and be strategically planning for what God wants to do in this hour. I believe this is the time. Look at this little story. I love that Brother Kinsey had put this in the book. And I, I wanted to take page space to be able to have this for you if you like to walk away with your notes. Operation Overload, the top secret plan by Allied forces to invade France was the turning point in World War II. On D-Day, June 6th, 1944, there were 24,000 paratroopers who landed in northern France and more than 160,000 American, British, and Canadian troops landed along that 50-mile stretch of the Normandy coast. However, in order for it to be a success against Germany, Operation Bodyguard was launched. The goal was to make the German leaders think the invasion of Europe would come, to a, come up a year later than it actually, the D-Day would, and, and would take place either in Balkans, southern France, or Norway. Using double agents, fake radio traffic, and visual deceptions, the Allies created two fake armies, leading the Germans to believe that a great number of troops were being held in reserve for a later attack. The deceptions were so successful that Hitler delayed sending reinforcements for more than six weeks, believing that the Normandy landing was merely a diversion. While casualties of the Allies were confirmed in the thousands, strategic thinking by the Allied leaders won that battle before a single soldier stepped onto the sand. Isn't that something? They had devised a plan ahead of time. They had worked it out, Operation Overload coupled with Operation Bodyguard and the way that that worked. I'll never forget standing. I've been there to Normandy. Some of you have been there and standing there and looking down across the beaches of Normandy. And I've been there and I've, I've walked those rows, all of those white uh, plots there at the cemetery, those headstones that are lined and so meticulously groomed and kept. There's a sergeant who has an incredible statement there on that, on that brick wall. It says you can manufacture weapons, you can build ammunition, but you can't pull heroes off of an assembly line. You can't buy valor. Whew. My, my, my. Failing to plan is planning to fail. Well, planning to fail. Nobody wants that. 
You got to define your goal. Somebody say define your goal. You must have a destination in mind. Zig Ziglar was often quoted to say, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit every time. Can I tell you something? Part of the human psychology, there are some people, it is their personality, it is the fiber of who they are. It is easier for them not to plan because they have learned that if they do not plan, they cannot let themselves down. When that becomes the lifestyle, it ceases to be about the will of God and it becomes about your own ego. Please catch that. If you're going to fulfill the will of God, it will take strategic planning. It will take intentional living. Now, you don't have to be one of these people who wakes up and lives your life off of a spreadsheet. No, you do not. But you do have to plan intentionally. Okay? Here's some examples. Share your testimony with one person a week. Some of you think, well, that's silly. It's not. For some of you, having a goal and hitting it. Have you ever been guilty of reading your bread chart just so you could get it done? Uh-huh. Setting a goal. Now, is it a good goal? Yes, but are you consuming it? Making sure you know why you're doing what you're doing. How about inviting five close friends to church with you every month? Being honest with your boss about a frustration, that's also defining a goal. What is my goal? I hate my job. Need to do something about it. You got to define what your goal is, right? You got to establish what you want to see happen. It's one thing for you to be miserable at your job. It's another thing for you to come home every night and make everybody else miserable because you are. Well, probably should have had somebody on the organ for that. <laughs> so define a goal. If you're married, talk through it with your spouse. How about this? Number two, set your priorities. Organize your time and your energy. Choose what you will not do. You know, that's important. Saying no is important. Sometimes we think it only matters to say no to sin. Sometimes it matters to say no to people that want to steal your time, that want to steal your energy, that want to steal your joy. If, if, we, if we allowed people to stand up and do a really weird testimony service right now, everybody could could talk about someone that is a joy stealer. It might be fun. You got to figure out what things you say no to. What, 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 what you're saying no. Where I used to live, live next to, we had incredible neighbors, incredible neighbors. But he was the most meticulous person ever with his lawn. I think he cut it twice. You think twice a week? I bet Ray cut it twice a week. My problem is, I didn't want Ray's yard to look better than my yard. <laughs> I cannot tell you how many times I heard my wife say to me, are you really going to cut the grass? Of course I am. Ray cut his.
How many know we can measure ourselves against ourselves? We've got to guard against that. What are you saying yes to that you should be saying no to? What are you saying yes to that really is a time diversion from quality family time? I know you love softball, but do you really need to play in three leagues? Oh, wow. I know you love basketball, but do you really? Some of the guys are like, find a lady. Get it, get on them. We had the marriage retreat. One of the things that came up was the gym. I'm, I'm good with that. You want to go, you want to work out, you want to stay in shape, I think it might help your mental health. But if you're giving 10 hours a week to the gym and you're not giving two quality hours a week to the family, what are you not saying no to? You say, that's not very deep in the Word. That's not, very, that, that's, that's not, that's not much depth in Scripture right there. Let's consider our values here a little bit. Somebody go to 2 Timothy chapter 2. They're going to put it on the screen and help us out. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow, what do we follow? Righteousness, faith, charity, peace with, with them that call on the Lord out of a Pure heart. The heart of the matter always matters. But flee youthful lusts. I love when Brother um, Eugene Wilson was here. He said something that night I thought was so humorous. He was talking about working out. Said, I think he said it was a VHS, which tells you how dated that was. But he said he was in the living room trying to get him a, a beach body. I thought that was so funny. I, I had fun and made fun of him later for the mental image alone. How many know that some of us get to a certain place in life, we have to identify with what is midlife crisis living? You hear that little nervous laugh? A little nervous like. We have to identify. Some of you teenagers, you don't understand what I'm talking about. Some of you young adults, it's not there. But you do, as you mature in Christ, have to flee youthful lusts. Driving a new Mustang is not the most important thing in life. But yet when you're 16, some of you are like, when I was 16, anything that ran would have been fantastic. <laughs> some of y'all know you drove the van or the minivan. Some of you wish it was a minivan. You drove the conversion van. <laughs> Let's look at Psalms chapter 90. Psalms chapter 90. And verse 12, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. What are you telling us, psalmist? What are you saying? Let's be honest about the time we have left. Because time is not endless. The only thing that's endless is eternity. But what, our days are very limited. So if there's anything that is taking you from the will of God, say no. How many of you had the D.A.R.E. program in school? You can remember when the, when the D.A.R.E. officer showed up. Come in and they teach you about saying no, saying no to drugs. When I was, when I was going through college and first went on staff in Ohio at the church, 
I was consumed with this thought process, the more you worked, the more successful you were. Many in this room have fallen into that trap, becoming a workaholic. Here's the truth. If your body suffers, did you win? If your family suffers, did you win? If your children suffer, did you win? Everybody at work loves you, but your kids don't. Did we win? Teach us to number our days. Pastor, what are you saying? I got to work hard. I got to run a business. I got to lead. I'm not saying that. I'm asking, let's evaluate. Let's evaluate the perimeter. Let's be honest about what can go on the chopping block. Look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. See then yet that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise. What's it say? Redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Verse 17. Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. Nudge somebody next to you and just tell them, you don't have time to get this wrong. We don't have time to get this wrong. Calvary, we don't have time to get this wrong. Ooh, man, I feel a little nudge right there all of a sudden. We don't have time not to pray. We don't have time not to take days where we're fasting and seeking God. We don't have time not to do praying through the tabernacle. Jesus, help us, help us, help us. We need bedtime routines. We need morning routines. The average person needs 7.5 hours of sleep per night. Okay? Not 12. I'm not even looking up at anybody, any direction. I've got no discernment, only suspicion. Some of you do not like this. You wish I would not have put it on the paper, but I'm going to say it and pass it. Eat and exercise properly. Oh, the Bible says exercise profiteth a little. Yeah, but for some of us, it's a little bit we need. All right? Budget your energy, not just your time. Isn't that a good point? Budget your energy, not just your time. Schedule your interruptions. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw out a crazy concept. If you can do one day a week, it'd be amazing. But at least, if you could do a day every other week where you go all day without your phone. Some of y'all hives like, oh, it's not possible. It is. How many remember the day when you didn't have a cell phone? I can remember getting tangled up in that long cord. Right? I got so wrapped up in a cord. I don't know why. We had the long one with the long, I mean, it was a long thing. You could walk almost around that. It was wireless before wireless. I think they had wireless out. We just weren't, we were too poor to have wireless back then. It was one of those ones. You know what I'm talking about? 
And I, I got so wrapped up in it. And the phone call ended. I, I can see myself standing in the hallway as a kid. And I hung up. I was like, this ain't going to work. This ain't going to work. This ain't going to work. Now we can't even do devotion without our phone. Now we can't even talk to our spouse without answering a call. Okay. I'm meddling. Number three, determine your method of measurement. Any goal that cannot be measured will only be a wish or a dream. Somebody needs to underline that. Good intentions will never become a reality unless you learn how to measure it. Consider what Jesus established for measurement in Mark chapter 4, verse 8. Measuring tells us where we have been and where we are going. Mark chapter 4, verse 8 tells us that some fell on good ground. It did yield fruit that sprang up and increased and brought forth. I love this. I love this. Some 30, some 60, and some in 100. Not everyone grows the same. It's just not, look around this church. Look how diverse and eclectic we are. We don't look the same. We don't talk the same. We don't, there's so much difference even in us. And we are one body and we are bred in many of us, very seasoned members, yet we're extremely different. But figure out how you measure it. I cannot measure my success against Brother Ben Houck's success. It's not fair. It's not fair to him. It's not fair to me. If I measure mine, if, if, I, if I put myself against Brother Massengale, then every time he succeeds, I will feel the need to succeed in a new way that might be out of the timing of God. There are times when I need to be in a 30 yield while he's in a 100 yield. And here's the real trick. Can I celebrate his yield of 100? while I'm in a yield season of 30. Hope that makes sense. You've got to measure. Measurement is based on timing, and it's based on capacity. It's important. It's important to understand, okay? If you had to choose only one measure of success, what it, would it be? How often is your progress evaluated? Does anyone else help measure you? That one right there is a big one. Who in your life can actually tell you you're not growing? Who can look at you and say, dumb choice? Nobody. I once had a guy, but now he's not in my life anymore. <laughs> who can tell you? Well, my spouse can tell me. Well, if every time they tell you it's a fight, who do you love enough? Let me tell you something too. You can't say, well, pastor says it. I'm accountable to pastor. Now, you can be accountable to pastor if we're talking on a regular basis. But we can't be meeting once every few months. And you say, my accountability is pastor. I'm, I, I'll try to oversee and I'll try to guard you, but you need someone close enough to your life to be able to tell you when something smells wrong. You need an angel to walk into my room and wake me up in the middle of the night and point you out. That does not show spiritual maturity. That shows spiritual immaturity. That shows that you cannot keep someone close to you, and this, I hope this makes sense, someone close enough to you that can tell you, hey, it seems as though you are not growing. What are your goals? Who are you sharing those goals with? We talked about this last week or the week before. Who are you sharing those goals with? And now I ask you, who is helping measure those things? 
Number, number four, remember the power of words. Things you say or even think, those internal words. Those internal words which can affirm or destroy. Considering that truth of Proverbs 18, 21 about the, the death of life or the death or the life and the power of the tongue. It's got to be applied not only the way we talk about others, but also the way we talk about ourselves. I want to I speak against something before I move on right here. Quit saying, I'm so dumb. Quit talking about yourself in a demeaning way. Okay? Ah, if I wasn't so... Ah, if I wasn't so... So I'm an idiot. I'm an idiot. Stop. There's enough people in the world that will knock you down. Don't do that to yourself. Okay? Negative self-talk. I've got to re-hit some of this stuff right now. This is the season we're in. This is the place we're at right now. We've got to, re we've got to trudge some of this up every so often right now and come back to this. Be concerned about what you're saying. Now let's talk about this sacrificing good for best. I want you to be a good Christian, okay? I want you to be a good apostolic, apostolic in doctrine. I, I want that for you. But I want you to be the best version of yourself. What is the God-designed version of you? You know the scary thing about this? Only you and God really know this. Only you and God really know know this. He's with you in the secret places. You must give up to go up. Earnestly desire the best. Everybody say best. Best gives. And yet I show you a more excellent way. So here's some areas we may have to sacrifice good for best. Ready? Friends. Regardless of how painful you must be willing to give up friendships that hold you back. You've got to. I know you love her, but you act ignorant when you're around her. Come on. I know, listen, we're grown in here. Adults and young adults in here. Be honest. You are the worst. If you're the worst version of you with them. I got in trouble. When I was, just a, I was just a kid, I was sitting on the front pew. We were talking so much. We were talking so much. He was calling us out, and I didn't know it. Yeah, that was a bunt. You better bet I got whipped that night, boy. Uh-huh. I heard the leather touch every, yeah. Um, we were sitting there talking. And when I say we were talking, I really think I was talking and Justin was listening because somehow he identified that we were getting called out. Next thing I know, honest, honest story, Justin stands up, looks at me, shakes his head, and walks. <laughs> like it was all me. So I was sitting, and I was sitting there like this here. What, what, what? Someone from behind me tapped me on the shoulder and pointed like one of these here. And I looked up and the pastor was just looking at me. Amen. I was just a kid and it was kind of a small, 
Southern Church. I needed the correction that night. And I probably need, I definitely needed the correction I got later that night. Still stings. But as we age, there are still people that bring out the worst in us. The danger is, are we mature enough to identify it and move on? He answered, he said, who is my mother? My brothers. Looked around the circle, those who sat around him, he said, here's my mom, here's my brothers. Whoever does the will of God. If the people in your, now listen, you gotta have relationships, you gotta have connections, you gotta be reaching for people. But, but those in your intimate circle, your closest level of relational value, they need to be people that are about the will of God. Yes, they do. Young adults, let me talk to you for a second. Those of you that are here at Bible college, because it's going to be one of those statements I make talking to you, but it has bleed over to everybody. Okay? You being here at Bible college, you being invested, if you've still got that boy or that girl back home, that at midnight, one in the morning, when you should be asleep, you are still sending those questionable texts. And you don't have to be a young adult to fall in that category because we can all flirt with the edge of what distracts us from the will of God. And if there's a friendship in your life, if there is a friendship in your life that is keeping you from getting from good to the best, then you need to consider that friendship very, very closely. How about security? We have to be able and willing to give up anything that provides us more comfort than Jesus. When I read that line, I was, I, I was so struck with the weightiness of that line that he had placed in the book, and, and it shocked me almost, and I brought myself back, and I read it, and I reread it. But anything that provides me more comfort than Jesus Christ, hmm, Help me to have an honest self-evaluation there. Jesus, beholding him, loved him and said, one thing thou lackest. He was talking to that rich young ruler. Go your way, sell whatever you have and give it to the poor. Thou shalt have treasure in heaven. Come, take up your cross, follow me. What's the story tell us? He goes away sorrowful. For he had many possessions. I don't think Jesus was setting a standard there, go and sell everything if you want to be. I don't think, I think he was speaking directly to the life of the individual in this story. And to each and every one of us in here, it is the call to evaluation. What one thing gives you more confidence than Christ? I'm sorry for anyone who does not believe this or does not agree. I'm thankful for doctors. I am. I'm thankful for hospitals. I'm thankful for human knowledge, and I'm thankful for study. Okay? I do not want a doctor that just can put on a white coat. I want him to have gone to school. Okay? I'm thankful for the human reasoning, for the study, for the... Pro I'm thankful for that. But the doctors do not give me more comfort than Christ. Where do we find our balance? Yes, we sing about him. We even did tonight, Sister Gallion, just a 
powerful worship said here about him as Jehovah Jireh, my provider. But if I'm not careful, especially living so engrossed in a North American society, the almighty dollar becomes that Jehovah Jireh. And our affection towards Christ at times becomes dependent upon the status of our job. I have met people that it seemed as though they couldn't live for God without a crisis. If you'll only serve Him in a crisis, He might leave you in one. Okay. Past success or immediate gratification. You can honor it, but not memorialize it. Thank God for what he's done. But if we only look back to what he did, we'll have a hard time focusing on what he is doing. Go to Philippians chapter 3. Now I'm going to wrap up. I'm going to wrap up very quickly. Be done in three minutes, four minutes max. Philippians chapter 3, verses 5 through 8. Here we go. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, touching the law of Pharisee. This is Paul. He's kind of speaking about his history. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. Verse 7. But what things I were gained, or what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Why? Verse 8. Yea, doubtless. I count all things but loss for what? For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them. Paul, what? But dung that I may win Christ. He said, I get it all. You're not going to get a, you're, if you want to talk about education, Paul had it. You want to talk about scholastic excellence? Paul is your guy. He said, I've got, I have got the resume, but I need to tell you something. You hear me. When I consider my resume and what I had, when I consider it in light of what I have found in Christ, everything I have accomplished, all my past successes, they are futile. Mm, in consideration. Muhammad Ali said, I hate every minute of training. But I just kept saying, don't quit. Suffer now to live the rest of your life as a champion. What's Galatians 6 say? Let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. So while I look at past success, I also have to understand that while I'm in the process, immediate gratification might not occur. It's not about immediate gratification. If the answer is always immediate gratification, then good will be good enough. Amen? We're reaching for best, for the perfect will of God. And the last thing that really should have no place in the life of a Christian anyway, it's personal ambition. It's personal ambition. It must be greater than what you desire for yourself. What does Mark 8 say? For whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. That's what has to happen.
And for each of us, listen, I'm going to tell you the real trick to this, and I'm done. I've closed my Bible. My iPad is closed. I'm making it up from here. I'm done. Wheels are down. Let me tell you this. Here's the trick to this. For you, getting from good to great or from where you're at to the best you're supposed to be, get your eyes off other people. And do not judge other people. No, no, no. Don't do that. You worry about you. You worry about your family. Now, you love one another. You help one another. Be kind to one another. But if we're not careful, there, there is what slips into the church. As long as I'm better than them. As long as I'm more holy than them. And you know I'm more holy than them. That is, you are not called. I am not called to measure myself against you. Brother Ethan, you did a great job tonight. It's a fantastic job tonight. I meant to say that when I first got up. Spectacular. Well spoken. My job is not to measure me against you. You're taller than me. I had to go up a couple steps just out of the gate. Okay? We take a picture. I got to ask you to kneel down. If I'm comparing my ability against yours, and I start with things like physical stature, the amount of hair you have, yeah, Brother Kilman, I said it. I knew you were right next to him. <laughs> but that's not, that's not how we're supposed to do it. We don't measure against one another. You individually have to measure against what the will of God is for your life. Amen? Amen. Stand with me. God, I pray that you would touch our hearts and minds. We've walked through this. These have been practical application, looking at scriptural evidence over four different parts of this series. I'm asking you to help us to be honest. Help us to be honest with what your perfect will for our life is. It is a it is a potpourri of Scripture on display. It is mixed together. It is drawn from the well of text abundant, both Old and New Testament, as we have evaluated characters over four different lessons. We have looked at different uh, individuals and their lives and the, and the elements that have been so placed, and we find ourselves here saying, help us. Help us to be what you really want us to be. Help us not to be average or mediocre help us to be the best version of ourselves not when compared against somebody else but when compared against whether or not we're carrying our cross help us not to judge the way someone else is carrying theirs if we ourselves have stopped carrying our own help us oh God to be honest with who and what you have called us to be we ask it in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen.